We're going to read a passage that is a very ominous passage for us as Christians. It's a passage that honestly we like only when we're really pumped up about Jesus. It's a very honest, sobering passage. But we need to hear it. And so would you stand for the reading of God's word from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 down through verse 19. This is God's word, friends, and it is given to you in love. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. With these words, Peter reminds his readers of how suffering fits into God's purposes in order to encourage them to persevere with the proper attitude. Amidst the global pandemic, amidst the changes to all of our rhythms, amidst the newfound bumps sneers, changes of our lifestyles that we faced amidst the pandemic. We know something of suffering in its various forms, but rarely do any of us in this room know what it means to suffer as a Christian. And Peter here in this context is talking about what is one of our callings as believers, and that is To not be surprised when we suffer, not because we're inconvenienced, not because it's too hot or too cold in your homes or in this room, or because you don't have the right clothing for the fall. What does it mean to suffer as a Christian? And this is really our experience today, but that is not true of others around the world. I shared a couple of weeks ago a graphic that said that 322 Christians are killed for their faith each month now. That 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed each month in the world. And that 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians every month. Paul uses a very vivid word picture. It's the Greek word pyrosis. It's the word that we read in our Bibles as fiery trials. Painful trials some of you may have if you use the NIV. And we know from history that this is a powerful image that the church received the decade after they read Peter's words. Because as you know from your history books, 
Less than a decade later, there was a fire in the city of Rome. We believe that First Peter was probably written between AD 62 and AD 64, and it was in the summer of 64 when Rome burned. And what did the emperor do while Rome burned? You know it from your history books. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And indeed, it was a fiery trial like no other the Christian church had seen. And though the recipients of First Peter weren't themselves in Rome, they were in Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, as you read in the first couple of verses of the book. No doubt, Christians of every day and age are recipients of cyclical and regular persecution and suffering. In fact, when Nero looked around and he needed a scapegoat for the burning of his city, who did he blame? He blamed Christians. And we also know from our history books that he was the one who probably lit the fire. Tacitus records the words when he says, Nero falsely diverted the charge to a set of people to whom the vulgar gave the name of Christians and who were detested for their abominations which they perpetrated. Abominations like they would eat and drink the body and blood in their rituals. They called them cannibalistic. They called them incestuous because they married and they called their husband or wife brother or sister in the Lord. They were monotheists because they didn't worship the panoply of Roman gods. These people were odd. They were strange. They were unique. And they became an easy target for Nero. The founder of this name was one Christus, Tacitus writes, by name. And he had been executed by Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Listen, how fitting is Peter's preparation for the church in the first century? And though we ourselves are very far from that experience, friends, I don't know what the future is going to bring. And we do know from history that these words are true. And that we do know from history that it is the regular and cyclical pattern of Christians throughout history to suffer, not because of a loss of economics, not because of a change of geography, but because of their faith. And one day again, someday, it will come again soon. The question that I'm going to have asked of me, perhaps, before King Jesus is how well did you prepare the people at your church to face that day? And the responsibility is on you and on me to be able to say, we will stand for the name of Christ even at the cost of our very lives. So there's five things we're going to learn about suffering in this passage. And I know five is a big number, but I'm going to rattle through them as quickly as possible. Number one, five things we read that clearly emerge from the text. First, if you're a note taker, number one, fiery trials are not strange. They are not abnormal. Do not be surprised by them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. He says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you. It's right there. And the, the specific trial 
that these brothers and sisters were suffering, we do not know. It says earlier in 1 Peter in chapter 1 that they faced various trials. We do not know what the particular trials were that they faced, but we do know why they faced them. Because Peter goes on to tell us twice. In verse 14, he says, because of the name of Christ. And then in verse 16, he says, as a Christian. And so a painful ordeal breaks into the life of these first century Christians, a pyrosis. And the perspective in the pain is to realize that God has a purpose in the suffering that is not strange or abnormal for the Christian life. You can see this all the way through the New Testament if you read carefully. Hebrews chapter 11. Many of you, I know, love this chapter of God's word. It says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Which means when your family goes to get you, they have to get both of you. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. In comparison to that, listen, it is just another day in paradise for us. But yet Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. We do not know what the day is going to bring in the future. But we are to take fresh courage from first of all knowing that fiery trials are not strange. Second, there's a question for how we are to react in these trials. Verse 13 shows us. Number two, we are to rejoice in painful trials. In Greek, the word rejoice is a present progressive, which means you keep on rejoicing. You don't just rejoice once and stop. You rejoice as you move into the suffering. It's a continual action. Under the dark cloud of his providence, we have his presence, we have his power, and we have the protection of our Heavenly Father. And so we rejoice continually. Fiery trials are not strange. We are to rejoice in fiery trials. And how are we exactly to do that? Well, we are to rejoice in fiery trials as we share in Christ's sufferings. Peter says rejoice because you share in Christ's sufferings. When you share in a suffering, that means that you share in suffering for his name along with many brothers and sisters in history who have done the same. When you share in the sufferings of Christ, you don't fulfill what was lacking in his sufferings. He fulfilled every bit of suffering that needed to be given in the atonement, didn't he? But you share in a deeply personal way. And those who have suffered for the name of Christ know this to be true. You only have to go up the road about 35 miles. There's somebody from Bartles, a couple from Bartlesville here. You only go up the road 35 miles to Voice of the Martyrs and you can see a whole amazing display of history of God's people who have suffered for the faith. He says, first of all, in fiery trials, we share in his suffering. You know, one of the most... Uh, Scott and I the other day got books that we didn't order. We got books in the mail, and it was a revised edition of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And they had updated it all the way to 2018, which is pretty amazing. And I, I, I read to my children uh, several weeks ago some of the stories of the recent examples of Christian martyrdom. 
But one of the most famous old stories is the story of Polycarp that many of you know and have heard. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, and he was arrested. He was in his 80s. And when he was brought before the arena, they said, you need to give incense to Caesar, and you need to curse Christ. And this is what he said. Take the oath, and I shall release you. Curse Christ. And Polycarp said, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And Polycarp literally endured a fiery trial as he was burned to to death. We sing this morning, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Do you believe that? You played dollhouse when you were a little boy or a little girl. You played teacher when you were little. Are you playing church? The scariest thing about this passage is that the way that you know if you actually believe it is you endure the suffering that it talks about. That's what Edward says in the end of religious affections at the very end of the day. I know I've said this many times. At the very end of the day, Edward said, the only thing that you can do that Satan can also mimic is you can endure suffering and not blaspheme the name of Christ. So we are to rejoice because we share the sufferings of Christ, but that's not all. We are also to know that we rejoice because in the fiery trials, God's glory is revealed to us. You see this in two places. In verse 13, it says, let us be glad when his glory is revealed. The apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus. This is referring to his second coming, when he comes again to make everything new. When you suffer, you get a foretaste, a deepening longing for that day to come. It's as though glory breaks in your heart. You begin to see it and feel it in ways you did not before, which is What he says later when he says down in verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Not only objectively do you know that Jesus is coming back, but subjectively in your own experience, you have a deepening warmth and tenderness for the things of God because he was with you even through your suffering. Listen, teenagers, I know it's hard to be a teenager and be a believer at school, but we are called to stand for the name of Christ even when it, means that we get ridiculed. And I know it hurts. And we are to stand for the name of Christ when we enter into conversations with our neighbors about what it is and why we have the habits that we do and why we spend our money the way we do and why we raise our children the way we do. There's a lesson from George Matheson who was a he was born in Glasgow, Scotland in 1842. When he was born, he had very, very poor eyesight. And by the time he was 18, he had lost his eyesight completely. And those of you who have chronic illness or parent children with chronic illness know exactly what this is like. Matheson said, suffering never catches me off guard because I've had to live with it all my life. And he wrote in his journal, he said, There is a time that is coming in which your glory shall consist in the very thing which is now constituting your pain. Nothing could 
be more sad to Jacob than the ground on which he was lying, a stone for a pillow. That was the hour of his poverty. That was the season of his night. It was the seeming absence of his God in which he began to understand the nearness of the Lord. The Lord was in that place, though he knew it not. Awakened from his sleep, he found the day of his trial was the dawn of his triumph. Ask the great ones of the past what has been the spot of their prosperity, and they will say, it was the cold ground upon which I laid my head. Ask Abraham, and he will point to the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Joseph, and he will direct you to the dungeon. Moses, and he will date the fortune from his danger in the Nile. Ruth, and she will build her monument in the field of her toil. Ask David, and he will tell you that the song came clearest in the night. Ask Job, and he will remind you that God answers him out of the whirlwind. Peter, and he will extol his submersion in the sea. John, and he will give you the path to Patmos. Paul, and he will attribute the inspiration to the light which struck him blind on the road to Emmaus in Acts chapter 9. Ask one more. Matheson writes, ask the Son of God. Ask him whence has come his rule over the world and he will answer from the cold ground upon which I was lying, the Gethsemane ground. I received my scepter of triumph there. Thou too, my soul, shall be garlanded by Gethsemane. The cup thou fain wouldst pass from thee will be thy coronet, coronet in the world by and by. Isn't that spectacular? They never thought that glory could be gained in any other way, the early church. And Peter here says, your glory is gained through the fiery trials of your suffering. So, number one, don't be surprised by fiery trials. Number two, we are to rejoice in those fiery trials. We rejoice because we share in his sufferings, and we also rejoice because in those sufferings, God's glory is revealed. Number three, there is a tragic way to suffer. He says, namely, as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Now, imagine if you had a chart with two categories. And you had suffering as a Christian and suffering as a murderer or as a meddler. Under suffering as a Christian, when's the time that you suffer? Well, you suffer now. Because in glory, you will be received into your Father's hand. But as a meddler or as a murderer or as a thief, when do you suffer? Oh, you store up yourself wrath before the presence of the Lord when you face him as judge. For those who suffer as a Christian, even though it's painful, it may cost your life, it is a far lighter sentence, isn't it? If you suffer as a murderer or as a liar, that it's an eternal sentence, potentially. If you act in unbelief, be far more at the judgment day. The results, if you suffer as a Christian, is that you turn to God for understanding and for endurance. If you're a meddler, you refuse to ask questions of God or even talk to him, and you miss the lessons that might be good for you. If you're a Christian, you ask the questions that are weighty. Why? And if you, are, if you suffer as a meddler, you become hardened and bitter, and you reject God. If you suffer as a Christian, you're prepared to identify with Christ. And comfort others who also suffer. But if you suffer as a meddler, you allow the suffering to make you more self-absorbed, self-centered, and bitter. 
If you suffer as a Christian, you are open to being helped by others. If you suffer as a meddler, you withdraw from others. If you suffer as a Christian, you realize that you can identify with what Christ has suffered on the cross for us. But if you suffer as a meddler, we accuse God of being unjust and perhaps lead others to reject him in our cynicism and sneering skepticism. If you suffer as a Christian, you realize that you are sensitized to the amount of suffering of the world. But if you suffer as a meddler, you refuse to be open to any changes in your life. Listen, there are two ways to suffer. One of them is very tragic. You suffer because of a consequence of your own sin. You suffer as a meddler, as a thief, an evildoer. Peter says, do not suffer that way. Suffer as a Christian and look to Christ, even though you may not know the answer to your suffering until glory. That doesn't mean there's not one. And you hang on and you cling to him in the body of Christ. Fourth, don't be ashamed of suffering as a Christian. That's what Peter says next. Don't be ashamed when you bear the name of Christ. Fifth, suffering as a Christian refines us. Peter quotes from Proverbs chapter 11. If the righteous can scarcely be saved, what more for the ungodly? He's not saying that we could potentially lose our salvation. He's saying that it comes through refinement, that we actually find that we are indeed believers. Bonnie read for us earlier from Malachi chapter 3. Peter pulls images from Malachi chapter 3 where he says that God's judgment is coming and he is going to begin in his house with you and with me because of the suffering that refines us as believers. So suffering as a Christian refines us. And last, fifth, therefore, what are we to do? We are to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Notice how Peter applies the balm of God's redemptive history to the suffering Christians here. He says that God is the creator. It's the only time in the New Testament where God is called the creator. It says that he created things, but he's never called a creator until here. Peter is trying to help them get a big picture to say that God is the architect of the universe and he knows exactly where you are and is with you. And he loves you. And you are to entrust your soul to him while doing good. Whether we are suffering for doing good or potentially going through suffering for sins that we have committed, the circumstances of those sins, if you're here in this room, you're to entrust your souls to God while doing good. And one way that we're going to be able to do that in just a moment is to come to this table. And as you receive the elements this morning, you are entrusting, as you hold out your hands, you are saying, nothing in my hands I bring. They are empty when you receive those elements. I entrust my soul to you, Jesus. Give me the strength I need. If you're not yet a Christian, hold out those empty hands and say, Father, would you fill me with the void? Fill my void with only your son who can fill it. For he died for me. When George Matheson learned to entrust his soul to God, there was a day in 1822 on his sister's, um, the day of her wedding, and his family was staying in Glasgow, Scotland, and something caused some tremendous mental suffering. He, he, he had a, almost had a mental breakdown. It was a deep mental health issue for him, and in, 
he didn't confide to anybody what the problem was, and yet he cried out to Christ, and he moaned, and he welled up, and he wrote in his journal later, I had the impression of having words dictated to me by some inward voice rather than of working it out myself. And later he wrote the great hymn that we all know, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. In conclusion, what does it mean to suffer as a Christian? Suffering as a Christian is the sovereign strengthening cost of your discipleship on the way to God sanctifying you. It is not personally punitive, for Christ took all the punishment. It refines our faith and it gives us strength as a Christian community. Gospel suffering deepens our hope in God, not self, that all wrongs will be made right by him in the end. It reaffirms our personal identity in Christ, not our own righteousness. And it fuels our corporate worship. And it leads us toward others, not to isolate when those fiery trials come. Brothers and sisters, don't be surprised when they come. Rejoice. Do not be ashamed. Entrust yourself to a faithful creator while doing good. These are our marching orders from King Jesus who endured every single one of these on your behalf for you so that we might be able to say, let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us?